Well, it is great to be with you guys today. We are wrapping up a series called Are We Good? It's about our relationships in life, and we've looked at putting the other person ahead of ourselves. Last week, we looked at how we communicate and speak with one another and how important and critical that is. And today, we're going to talk about a title like that. I don't know about you, but I thought about the song, like the old song from the 90s from Extreme More Than Words. And, and when Gabriel heard the name of the title, my wife, she's like, oh, man, we should, we should sing that song, More Than Words. I was like, yeah, that'd be really cool. We should sing that song. And she's like, no, no, you and I <laughs> should sing that song to start the thing. I was like, oh, no, we shouldn't. But I let her talk me into rehearsing in our bedroom. I'm going to tell you, it wasn't bad. Because when you're singing with her, she made up for like a lot of my flaws or whatever. Anyway, it sounded good in the bedroom. Take my word for it, all right? We're going to talk about more than words. Because what if what we say and what we do and what we say and, and, and our attitudes toward another don't match up? What if they don't line up? I think that's trouble for any relationship when we say, hey, I love you, but our, but our attitude does not say I love you. When we say I love you, but our actions don't communicate I love you, that we're sending mixed signals. Jesus said uh, this out of overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if we're really being genuine in what we say to one another, it also ought to be reflected in how we act towards one another. See, when you and I say those things, but we don't act those things, we really fall short of what it means to love the people the way God intended. And what we're talking about today, I really believe, is, is the kind of thing that can cause relationships to last through the ups and downs. And if you and I are going to have friendships that last decades and are meaningful in our life, that we need to learn this lesson. And I believe if we're going to have marriages that stand the test of times, that we're going to need to learn this lesson. And if you and I are going to be great at relationships the way Jesus intended us to, we've got to learn this lesson. So let's look at what God's Word has to say. We're going to be in 1 John quite a bit of this morning, and we're going to start in chapter 3 here. And God's Word's really clear about this. He says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So right off the bat, it's, it's clear that love is an action. Love isn't just what we say, that there's action behind what we say. In fact, uh, I, I want to say this, love is not a feeling. And I think everything in me says I need to repeat that over and over and over again because our culture, the songs we sing, the, the, the movies we watch, the shows that we're involved in, they all communicate this message that love is a feeling that we need to be looking for and chasing after and finding a feeling of love. When God's word says, listen, it's, it's action and it's truth. Now, being in love and the feeling of being in love may come along with the actual act of love, but it's not necessarily the same thing. Now, how many of you are runners? Like you say, I, I have, in my time, at some point in my life, been a runner, or I'm currently a runner. Jeff, I know you've been a runner. Uh, several of you guys are runners. Have, how many of you have experienced a runner's high? You know what that term? You've experienced a runner's high? I hate you. Uh, that's not fair. I, I can say this, that one time in my life when I was in college, I ran the Peachtree Road Race, and I don't know what happened, because I'm usually miserable when I'm running, but in the middle of that race, I just started feeling great, and I was like, this is awesome, I think I could run all day, and, and, and I picked up my pace, and it was awesome, and I had a great time, and uh, that is literally the only time in my life I've experienced that. 
And I can tell you this, I continue to run. I only run like six or eight miles a week. And I, I know I don't run far enough to get the runner's high. I, I understand that. Don't come tell me that I'm, you know, I'm not going far enough. But here's my point, long time. Seeing the feeling of a runner's high in my running, I would have quit running long, long time ago. I run so I can fit into my shorts. <laughs> That's why I run. I wish every time I ran. I had that feeling. But that love is not a feeling. In fact, not only is love not a feeling, this verse says that love is, is also not primarily about what you and I say. That our words are critically important. And listen, if you were here last week, I think we, we, we hit on that. I think we experienced that, that there's blessing and there's cursing and there's life and death in our words. And it's critically important how we speak to one another. But this verse says our actions speak louder than words. You know, I've, uh, I've got two daughters, and uh, they're both teenagers. And a long time ago, I warned them about guys. And I said, listen, a guy, a young boy, a young man will tell you what you want to hear. They know the words that you want to hear. But listen, don't listen to the words they say. Listen to their actions. Because if they say, I respect you and, and, and I honor you, uh, that, that's nice. But really, the way they're going to communicate, I respect you, is they, they respect your convictions and they honor your convictions and they hold the physical boundaries that you've set in place. And that's how they'll communicate respect for you. And listen, if they're opening the door for you, uh, if they're changing their plans to accommodate what you want to do and not what they want to do, that communicates that you are important far more than them saying that they think that you are. That their actions will speak louder than their words. See, the reality is this, and this is your blank. Love is expressed best in our actions. If you really get down to it, if you want to show, if you want to express love the most clearly, the most powerfully, then it's going to be in the actions that we have. See, that's how God defines love in this verse, and that's actually how God showed and demonstrated his love. Just a little uh, earlier in this passage, in 1 John laid down 3, he says it this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is the gold standard of love. This is the definition of love. If you're ever curious about what is love and, and how do I define it, this is literally it, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. That's it. That is it, period. That is love. We don't have to go looking for it. It's right there. We don't have to wonder what it is. It's right there. It was, he, even though there was zero benefit to Jesus doing so, he came upon this earth and he sacrificed himself in the most selfless act of humanity for you and I because he loves you and I. And because God loves you so much, listen, if you are a Christ follower, you got to understand there's two pieces to this verse. The first one is this is what love looks like, that Jesus would lay down his life. And if you're a Christ follower, this means something else, that you've bought into a deal here, and it says this, that if you've experienced the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the hope of God and eternal life in God, then we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There's a second part to this. That, we, that we've bought into an arrangement that you and I, there's an expectation that we would sacrifice our lives for one another as well. That the one 
done by Christ naturally causes the one done by us. I don't know if you realized you bought into that was the arrangement that God said, listen, if I'm laying down my life for you, that you would lay down your life for one another. It's an agreement to love others in a sacrificial way like Jesus sacrificially loved us. And it settles some very important questions, kind of like, how much do I get involved with other people? Well, if it is for their benefit and their good, then yes, you get involved with them. Or, or do, I, do I step in? Should I, should, I, um, should I give myself away and sacrifice to one another? Absolutely, if it will demonstrate the love of God, you should do so. Is they're worth it? And when you and I learn to live in love as an action, this is what happens. We just decide before the moment comes that we're going to be people that act that way. Before the moment of decision comes where when someone has a need and you decide, am I going to meet that need or not? You've already decided that if I see a need today, I'm going to meet it because that's what Christ would want me to do. Now, when we say love down our, lay down our life, it, it's not, it's not going to look like Jesus did, probably. I mean, we're never going to be asked to love more than Jesus has loved us. It, it's not going to mean uh, that we're going to have some grandiose moment that we, that we lay our lives physically down. It might come to that, but likely is not that at all. And, and you'd say, man, I take a bullet for that person, but you don't take time to listen to that person. And what I'm saying is that you and I are going to learn to lay down our lives to one another. And it's not in this grandiose moment, but in the repetition of tiny gestures and sacrificial decisions over and over and over again, day after day after day. Because love is expressed best in our actions. And we learn to give our life away because God has so loved me, because God has sacrificed so much for me that I want to let that, that love flow through me into the lives of the people around me. That's, that's how we're supposed to express love to one another. And I love that this passage in 1 John 3 actually gives us some very practical application. The next verse there, verse 17, wedged between the first two verses, says this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's a really pointed question, isn't it? If you have the means to help someone and you know they have a need and you refuse to help them in that need, then God's saying, listen, that's not really love. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I live in the realm of good intentions, but those good intentions don't always come through. And our good intentions will be tested. One commentator in this passage said it this way. I love this. He says, it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women. Attractive. Loving everyone in general may be an excuse for loving no one in particular. Man, that hits home, doesn't it? That you and I aren't here to save humanity. What you and I are here to do is to help the person that God puts in our path, that one person today that we can serve and bless and sacrifice for and encourage and whatever we're supposed to do in that moment today, be faithful. God is going to ask you to love people who are prickly and frankly not very lovable. Because let's be honest, that's you and me sometimes too, right? That's who we're called to love. 
And this idea that we would show compassion to one another. You know the word compassion means to be with pain. That's literally what the word means. So that when we see other people hurting, it not only hurts us emotionally, it causes us to respond in some sort of action. And when you and I see someone that has a need that is going unmet, that we're moved with compassion, not only to feel something, but to do something and try to meet that need the best we can. See, genuine compassion leads to action. It always leads to action. If the emotion of compassion isn't coupled with action, it's not really compassion. It may be guilt, pity, or remorse, but it is not compassion. See, in the love of God, when he had compassion on humanity, it bothered God so much that you and I were drowning in our sin that he said, listen, it's awful that the the pinnacle of my creation, the the ones made in my image are drowning in sin, and he had such compassion on us that he just didn't feel something, that he was moved to do something, and he came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, as a payment for our sin. He was moved with compassion that led to action. It cost him his life. And that's my next point here. Guys, if you and I are going to love each other well, love's co- love costs us something. Love is going to cost you something. I think, I think that one of the lies of our culture today is love isn't going to cost me something. And when I do premarital counseling, I always try to get this point across. It's like you're marrying that person because you just think they're so awesome, and they are so awesome. But you've got to understand there's going to be times that you don't think they're awesome. And you still act and sacrifice and love and selflessness towards them when they don't deserve it. It might cost you inconvenience. It might cost you changing your plans. It might cost you your day being interrupted. It might cost you money like the people in this verse 17 where, uh, where uh, John's writing to them and that there was a physical need and it might cost you uh, something to, to help meet somebody's need. Whatever the cost is, love will cost you something. Sometimes it costs us simply swallowing our pride and being the first person to serve the other person when you don't feel like serving that person. Saying, I'm I'm serving them, but they're not serving me. I keep giving and they keep taking. You know what? I believe love overcomes that. I mean, you just looked at the love of Christ. His love overcame. Long before you and I were born, long before you and I had a thought about God, long before we put our faith in Jesus Christ and asked him to be the Savior and forgiver of our life, Jesus Christ laid down his life for you and I. He sacrificed himself long before we earned it and deserved it. We can never done either of those. He stepped in and intervened on our behalf. See, love doesn't keep score. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrong. Love doesn't keep record of who's serving each other more. Love doesn't keep record of of who's right and who's wrong. Love doesn't keep score of any of those things. Because if you keep score, it's always tilted towards yourself, isn't it? You ever notice that? You always remember the things you've done. You've always remembered what they haven't done. You always remember when you were right, and you always remember that when they were wrong. And, And it's always tilted towards us. If we keep score. So God says, listen, don't keep score. A billion. If you're stuck on keeping score, I got a scoreboard for you. God, a billion. And you, zero. 
If you want to keep your eyes fixed on a scoreboard that will motivate you to continue to love people, then you think about the wealth of the forgiveness and love of God that he would pour it out on you lavishly, whether you loved him or not. He died in your place, and he says, I've done all of this for you when you had done nothing for me. If you want to keep your eyes on the scoreboard, it's God, a billion, and me nothing. Now y'all know what it feels like to be a Georgia Tech fan. I said that because one of y'all were going to say that in the hall, so I just beat you to it. Actually, I had a big win last night. Y'all don't care, but I'm happy, okay? Love. Love is best expressed in our actions. He says, don't love with words and, and speech only. Love in action and in truth. Man, make it so undeniably true that, they, that, that people know that you love them by what you do, that the words is just a cherry on top, on top of everything else. You say, man, I, I, you say beautiful things to them in, in addition to that. So love is expressed best in our actions. But I also want to point out in verse 17, there's another truth here that love is revealed in our actions, in our, I'm sorry, in our reactions. Love is revealed in our reactions. I love that in verse 17. He says, if you see somebody in need, that wasn't a planned thing. That wasn't like an outreach event. They said, as you're going through life and you notice something, you need to react and respond in that moment. You know it's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one? Anyone want to give me an amen on that? You've been in Bible study or come out of church or just had some prayer time and you feel super spiritual. I've done this a bunch. And you're just like, man, me and God, we're like this and ain't nothing going to get to me. And then you get in your car. And it doesn't take 10 seconds and you have lost it all. Because I guess what? It's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Because acting like a Christian, if you take a moment and you decide, hey, I'm going to meet this person's need, that's a decision you can make. It's a one-time decision that I'm going to act as Jesus has commanded me to act. And believe me, that's good. I've just talked about that. We need to do that. But reacting like a Christian means that you and I walk out of our house with a mentality and a mindset that we're... And in John 15, when Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, that I'm the vine and you're the branches, that's literally what I'm talking about. If you and I are going to be people who react in love, that means you and I need to be intimately connected to the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are literally abiding and remaining in him, and he is our very nourishment and life. And when we get a moment where we want to react in the wrong way, we don't because we're connected in vital relationship to him. You know, it makes it even harder. And, and I know some of you guys are in this. If you're in a relationship where you feel like you're given and they're taking, or maybe you feel like there, there's some resentment built up, you've had some unmet expectations, or you've had some uh, unmet needs, and, and, it, and if you're not careful, those things build up in a relationship, and you get a little sour and bitter towards one another. It's even harder to react in love when you have that stuff lying underneath. And I'm not proud of this, but one of my worst reactions in my life happened on my wedding day. When, when Gabe and I got married 26 years ago. On our wedding day, we got married at night. Um, so we, we had the wedding, and we're at the, re, uh, you know, afterwards, we're having the party. And, and uh, we'd, I didn't asked her to marry me nine months earlier. And uh, so she comes up to me during the, the you know, what is that called? Reception, thank you. Uh, after the reception. And I said, hey, listen, uh, you ready to go? Like, it's time we go. I'm ready to go. 
And she's like, yeah, I'm ready to go. We can go. But hey, um, I didn't finish packing. So I got to go back home and pack before we go to our hotel. And she told me about her day and how busy it was. And I kept thinking, but I asked you nine months ago. It's okay. She, I tell this story all the time. She's cool with it. And so we drive back to her house, and I'm sitting in the car, and I'm waiting for her to get done packing. And she gets in the car, and we're getting ready to go. And, you know, there's different levels of screaming. Well, she screamed. It's kind of like the, the scream that you picture in your head that someone has an axe, and they're about to chop your head off, right? <laughs> this mind-blowing scream in the car. I'm like, what, what, what's going on? She's like, there was a cockroach on the windshield. And because I had all the pent-up frustration and lack of uh, needs being met and expectations being met, I blew up. I reacted. I, I gave her all of it, just one shot, just blah. And so we're riding to Chateau alone in total silence. And I thought, this is not how I had planned this. This is not how I thought this was going to go down. And I'm like, I got to do something. What am I going to do? And I had to pray and just say, God, you know what? I need to own up to my junk. And it, I'm, I'm telling you, it took me a long time. It was a, thank God it was a long ride. And I said, I am so sorry that I reacted the way I did. And, I, and, and it turns out, she's like, I didn't get to say goodbye to my dad. And, you know, I'm feeling really bad about that. And I'm like, who cares? No, I mean, I was like, uh, I was like, that's terrible, baby. And uh, I was like, so here's what happened. We kind of made up in the car. We got up to our room. I carried her across the threshold. I sat her down. I said, hey, look. There was a big, huge tub and, like, bubble bath sitting there. And there's a phone by the old phone, like, stuck to the wall. This is how long ago this was. And it was by the tub. I was like, that's crazy, but whatever. And I'm back in the room. Why don't you take a bath, relax, call your dad. And when you're ready for me to come back in the room, take the do not disturb sign off the door. She's like, okay. I won't tell you the rest of the story. There's more to it. but <laughs> not not that. <laughs> anyway. That's not embarrassing. It's easier to act like a Christian than react like one. Especially when we have these silent killers of bitterness and resentment in our hearts. And I want to read this to you from Ephesians. It says this. It says, get rid of all bitterness. I'm going to say that again. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Listen, if we're going to react in love, we have to address the bitterness in our heart. All these other things, the resentment and the slander and the gossip and the envy and all that, it comes from bitterness. It comes from unmet expectations. It comes from uh, unmet needs in our life. And all those things grow if we harbor resentment in, the, in our lives. I call them silent killers of relationships. And if we carry them around with us, it's impossible for us to react in love. You know that? It's impossible. That's exactly why it says, get rid of it. He says, get rid of it. 
You can't hang on to that. It'll drive a wedge between you and them. God says, remove it. The only way to get out of that is to ask for forgiveness, to recognize that you've been forgiven, that you didn't deserve it, that you were, you were guilty before God, that God did for you what you couldn't do for yourself, that he extended forgiveness to you when you didn't deserve it, that Jesus paid the price, the cost of your sin long before you were born. He died in your place. If we're going to forgive others, we need to experience the forgiveness of Christ in our lives. If you've never done that and know for certain that you've been forgiven by Almighty God, that he loves you and he wants you in his family, there's a divine transaction he wants to do with you today where you bring all your sin to him and by the grace and the forgiveness of Christ, by his sacrifice on the cross, he'll remove it from your life and he'll pour in you the love of the Father into your heart. It's a beautiful transaction. And for those of us who have done that, that we would go back to his love. We'd go back to his forgiveness. He says you forgive because Christ has forgiven you. It's not because the other person deserves it. It doesn't mean that they're right. It doesn't mean that they didn't have fault. But you love and you forgive because God has so loved and forgiven you. Then and only then will our reactions and our actions be done in love. You know, it makes me think about Jesus in the garden when he was the night of his betrayal, right before he's going to die. He's got the, literally the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he's praying because he knows the Father's going to dump the guilt and the shame and the judgment of humanity on his shoulders, and he's going to pay for the price for our sin, and the Father's going to turn his back and judge him in a moment of judgment, and he prays three different times. Man, God, God, please spare me from this if there's any other way. And he asked his disciples to pray with him that God would give him the strength to follow through on his mission. And every time he goes back to the he finds them what? Sleeping. It'd be a good time to react, wouldn't it? Third time he comes back and he says this, are you still sleeping and resting? He's like, I'm calling you out, guys. He says, look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Does that sound like an overreaction to you? Not at all. Man, he could have lit into these guys. He could have just blasted them for their, for their lack of effort and their lack of commitment and their lack of friendship, and he doesn't do any of that. He says, listen, you need to get ready because this big moment's coming, and you need to prepare yourselves. He doesn't dwell on their shortcomings. He doesn't react to their failures. He reacts to the Father's love. Listen to this, because he was satisfied in his Father's love alone. Listen, if you can't seem to forgive other people, if you're always keeping score and you can't seem to put other people ahead of yourself, that means you want something and you need something from them. And could it be that maybe you're asking from them something that they can't give you that can only be found in a relationship with God himself, that there's a selfless unconditional, satisfying love that is from God the Father. And we are not to put that burden on any one person, that we are looked to God alone and turn to him, to the one who will completely love you. Guys, as we wrap up, I'm just going to challenge you. If you've never made that decision to know Christ in a personal way, he's saying, listen, I love you and I long to forgive you. If you'll turn from your sin and you'll turn to me, let's pray. So, Father, we just come to you thankful that we don't have to guess what love means or what it looks like. Love is you laying down your life for us. 
And God, with that definition and with that demonstration of your love, if we've received that in our life, we have the perfect model of how to live in relationship to others, that we would lay down our lives for one another. And Lord, I want to pray for the people in this room that we would learn how to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We'd be able to lay down our life for the people that we live with. God, we'd be able to lay down our life for the people in this church sacrificing for each other. Lord, we'd learn how to sacrifice ourselves for the people we go to school with or we work with or even the stranger on the street. That we would not love with words and speech, but in actions and in truth. Oh God, make that more true of me. Make that your prayer. God, make that more true of me. As I learn to abide in you, as I learn to Look to your example. And Father, I want to pray for the person who's had the silent killer of bitterness. That there's a root of bitterness in a relationship that they've had. And it's getting in the way of them forgiving someone or loving someone. And it's messing up their emotions. Father, I pray today, even right now, they can come to you and say, God, if you have forgiven me for everything, every offense of mine, I turn over their offense to you. I'm not going to carry that anymore. God, I want to get rid of the bitterness in my heart and ask you to replace it with your love and your grace and your forgiveness in me. And Lord, I want to pray for the person today who's been looking everywhere else and in other relationships for a love that will satisfy him. But today, they're going to turn to you. If that's you today, just make this your prayer that God, I, I want to be satisfied in your love alone. I believe you loved me enough to die on the cross for my sin. God, I believe you loved me enough to give me a new life in you. God, I believe you loved me enough to make forgiveness complete in my place. And so I place my faith in Jesus alone to forgive me, to heal me, and to satisfy me in you. And Lord, as we wrap up this relationship series, I just pray for the different relationships in our life. If you want to come and pray at the stage as an altar and pray that God would move in a relationship, you're welcome to do that now. And Father, I just pray you lead this time of response as we sing, as we pray in Jesus' name.